following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. The Tip of the Cap podcast is brought to you by Stinger Sports. Stinger Sports makes high-quality gear for the player who expects more for their money. Visit them today at www.stingerwoodbats.com and use promo code TIP OF THE CAP, all one word, for 10% off your next order. Stinger Sports. Look great. Feel great. Play great. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Tip of the Cap podcast. I, as always, am Derek Joswiak, Derek Jaws, Coach Jaws, however you know me. Uh, and I am here with a brand new episode. And uh, I, I'll be honest with you guys, I wasn't sure when I when I sat down to do this episode, I wasn't sure what I was going to say or how I was going to, uh, what exactly I was going to cover. When I was doing lessons last night, uh, I had a conversation with my very first lesson of the day. He's a sophomore in high school. Throws pretty hard in the 80s from a low uh, sidearm slot, and we just got to talking about his kids on his team uh, that I've worked with in the past and uh, the team he's playing on currently and such. And he made a comment to me. Now, one of the kids that he plays with um, has made mention that, at least to some people, that he's not playing baseball this year because he just doesn't like it anymore it's not very fun uh and he just wants to work out be in shape and not have to worry about baseball but he still it, as it turns out he it turns out he or it looks like he's still playing on his summer team at bare minimum and then we got to talk about that team and the kid kind of looked and he's like yeah i don't really know like where we're playing like we're playing like some 16u league i don't really know like what league it is or where we're playing or who we're playing against or what our schedule is even going to look like, which in this day and age is not unusual with the weird times of, you know, the way the world right now, but to not even know like the league you're playing in or if there's tournaments you're going to. And I mean, this kid's a sophomore in high school, you know, um, that's tough. No, granted, he does play two other sports. He's a wrestler and a football player, which, you know, makes it easy to lose track of some things, but you know, he apparently the coach he's playing for this year um, took over the team, whether it was this year, or last year, whatever. And they kind of made a point of saying that they were going to be different and they were going to be a good competitive baseball team um, and kind of kind of take things a little bit more seriously than the team had in the past. And, you know, now it's kind of. He, he said he made a statement along the lines of that they're at an age where he doesn't think they need to take much practice in the world of you know fielding ground balls and taking infield practice and that's tough I mean that's that's tough you know you know we yeah it's ground balls on turf indoors but ground balls on turf indoors are better than no ground balls um you know at the high school that I coach at we're fortunate enough to have a field house and said field house has a tile floor now they just replaced that floor I'm curious to see how things work this year. It'll be the first real year we're able to use it. But um, we're also going to be, you know, in the past it was these gray, uh, like, sport tile things. And, you know, after a year or two, they kind of got all bent and everything else. You'd get weird hops, weird spins, whatever. But it was better than, you know, just taking short ground balls in a gym and better than no ground balls at all. So to say that a 16U team doesn't need to take ground balls or infield practices, that's a tough look. Um, you know, so it, it was a very interesting conversation. And I'm not I'm not bringing this up to bash said coach again. And I, I don't use names when I talk for the most part um, because I'm not trying to call people out. I'm not trying to put anybody on blast or anything along those lines. I, but, you know, to tell the story, you kind of have to tell the story. And so I can leave names out but still get the point across of what I'm trying to say. So it kind of – that and, you know, having a conversation with a couple of guys that I work with over there and stuff like that kind of led me down a weird path last night of thinking about the the way the game has changed. And it's been talked about a few times on, you know, on this show and across other shows and – you know, if you watch anybody else who puts any type of baseball media out there, you can see the, um, you know, you can see people talking about things of this sort left and right. And I know I'm being very vague. I, I'm, I'm really trying not to use names. I'm really trying not to put anybody out there, put anybody on blast, uh, especially if, you know, without the ability to 
really like back up what they said or, you know, kind of define what they meant by what they said. So I was really thinking about like, you know, we, we got to talk about like the number of teams at certain age groups. And, you know, you've heard me say in the past, if you if you've been listening to the show for a long time that, you know, there you're, you're hard pressed to find four or five really good teams at one age group. And it's because there's like 30 to 40 teams per age group in this area, in the Western New York area. Um, and that's just at a quick search. Like that's not really hunting every one of them down. At a quick search the one year, I found 39 teams at one particular age group. And it was the it was a high school show, quote unquote showcase age group. Uh, that's 17U, you know, juniors and sophomores type thing. And, you know, it, it ended up being one of those things that like, when you when you have so many teams, you talk, start talking about watered-down talent, especially when everybody, the, the word showcase has become an age group, not necessarily a team-type a t- a team distinction. And then you look at it, and there, there are some organizations, whether it's a town, whether it's an independent organization or whatever, that have multiple teams per age group, which, okay, and depending on how you run that, it can be viewed as one way or another. But when you have organizations or uh, towns, leagues, whatever, that have four quote-unquote travel-slash-tournament teams at one age group, if there's not four or five good ones in a, in the area as a whole, there's not four good ones in your town. There can't be. And, you know, that that's where this stuff gets tough. And that's where you have to start asking questions of, you know, what what's the purpose of these teams? You know, could some of these kids benefit from playing? This is where, you know, the conversation of house ball comes in. Uh, I can tell you that some of the stuff doesn't do these kids any justice because they say, I mean, I deal with it. We deal with it every year at the high school level. You know, a, a kid comes out for our team, gets cut, and then we hear the, yeah, but he plays for this team and it's like okay well everybody on everybody that on our team and everybody that got cut plays on one of those teams so the other option would be we take everybody and then you bitch about playing time um you know and and it makes it tough because some of the stuff that these kids are being sold and told kind of inflates what they what their expectations are and there's nothing wrong with kids playing I I want as many kids playing baseball as humanly possible. But there's got to be some truth in advertising here too. You know, if if you're playing in if you're playing for a team and you're one of let's say let's say you're one of four teams for that organization in an age group. Say you're say you're a 12U team and you're playing for the Coach Jazz's Superstars and you're on, you know, Coach Jazz's Superstars Red and there's black, white, and gold. So there's four teams, and the gold team is the quote-unquote A team, the team that's you're not playing locally really. You're going to play 13U locally, and then uh, let's say you're going to go to the uh, perfect game. You're going to go to the championship week of Cooperstown. You're going to go to just big, more national quote-unquote tournaments. Um and, you know, then you're playing on the, let's say the red team, like your son's on the red team, which is the fourth team at that age group, and you're playing a C-level travel schedule that half the league is 11U. At that point, you got to ask, you know, one, how much are you paying for that? What are you getting for what you're paying for? And are you actually, you know, could you benefit maybe from playing house league? I mean, some of these house leagues, uh, they're rough. I, I you know, I... I Every now and again, you know, I show up to a game in the summer and there's a house league game. You know, it could be a 15-U house game, and you're looking at it going, these kids are 15? Oy. You know, kids that are struggling to make the throw from second base to first, let alone short or third. You know, kid barrels up a ball with the hardest swing he's had all day, and it barely makes it off the dirt of the infield and stuff like that. And you're, you know, and you want those kids to play. You want that to be a thing. But, you know, those kids don't get much better by – playing 29 to 24 ball games where half the runs are walked in or pass balls and you know at the same token how much better is the that that very first step above that of that third or fourth travel team at that age group in that area how much better is the play 
it can't be substantial. Um, you know, so so maybe there would be some benefit to maybe it's okay if to a certain point your your son and this could go for softball too if your son or daughter is not uh you know travel material maybe they would benefit from playing some house league playing some some smaller town type baseball you know more of a rec league type thing and who knows maybe they maybe they get better that way by playing you know by playing in a place where they can compete and actually get some reps and play decent baseball and then you know maybe they can push for one of those travel spots on one of the better teams in the area or something along those lines you know at, at some point bad baseball is better than no baseball but it's still not good does that I, I, I don't know if I'm coming across right and this and this is why I struggled with this topic for a minute because I wasn't sure how I wanted to address it and how I wanted to come across uh, I am trying to be more consistent you know I took a little bit of a break uh, from consistent episodes for a few weeks after, you know, right around the Super Bowl and stuff like that. And I'm trying to get back to every Thursday posting an episode. So I also don't want to sit here and sound like, hey, first off, I, I am not a no, an end-all, be-all of knowledge. I've never claimed to know everything. I regularly say that everything I've learned, I've learned from other people. I wasn't, ju- I wasn't you know, just gifted with infinite knowledge. I I talked to as many human beings as I few humanly possibly can and you know i i gain that's in my opinion the best way to gain knowledge is to talk to people and especially people who maybe know more than you and so this is by no means saying like if you have a travel team and it's just you know you're you're affiliated with a town and you play b or c level ball and everything i'm not knocking you i'm not telling you not to do it um you know, but to some extent, there are some inherent issues that come with these things that I've seen over the years, and I would have no problem discussing them with anybody. And I would like to discuss it with somebody if they want to come on the show and be a guest and talk about the structure of their organization that maybe has two or three teams per age group or at certain age groups, whatever it may be, and what the ideas are, what the philosophies are, and what you're trying to gain and or do with those teams. But, you know, this is one of those things like I'm, I'm not I'm not doing this to to look for fights. I'm not doing this to promote myself in really any way um this is just me you know the episodes like this i have to put out so it's not you know large chunks of time between bring you know having guests on because sometimes finding people to come on the show and you know i have a long list of people that want to come on the show and it's just matching up schedules especially coming this time of year with spring it gets tough so in thinking about this the more i thought about it last night and then into this morning uh I, I kind of sat here and I thought about like how I wanted to approach this. And there were a few things, a few notes that I've got down um, that I, I think I want to touch on here. And the first one is it, it's kind of a message that Dan Savit from PVR has been really pushing. And he's been doing it in a fashion of bringing people on Zoom calls to talk about ways to grow and advance the game. Um, and it, it, the entire idea is to grow the game. You know, there's... The, the, one of the things that we see is that, you know, times change, things change, you know, new technology gets developed, and with any change, there always comes pushback. So, you know, we, my whole thing here is I want to grow the game of baseball. And if you just listen to the last 10 minutes of what I said, it might sound on the surface like I'm saying, like, there's too much baseball. You will never hear me say there's too much baseball. I think there's I think the baseball is too spread out personally. Um, the term watered down comes to mind. You know, if if all are equal, none are strong type thing. Uh, and I know that it's a it's it's a pipe dream to believe that there would be one, maybe two main teams in the area that are your elite of the elite, you know, so you don't have kids going to Syracuse or Detroit or somewhere in Pennsylvania to play their travel ball to get seen better, to get noticed more um you know you you would hope you'd be able to keep those kids locally and do something with other kids you know i I just had the the opportunity to sit down with dan and a few other guys locally and say you know western new york is a hotbed it's it's an i feel like western new york is about to erupt with talent just start to like every time you turn around there's two three four kids that are big d1 or draft talk every year type ready to explode um you know and there's a lot of talent that's untapped in this area 
the problem I the problem that I see is that you see areas that are already good and I'm going to use you know I guess I'll use my town as an example Lancaster's a big town there's a lot of people a lot of kids and there are times that you have again two three four teams per age group that are travel slash tournament teams and then on the other end of it you have parts of the city of Buffalo that don't have a league or they have a league that barely functions and you know you get that one or two parents that try to do something and it's again and I commend them it's better than nothing and you're you're trying to grow and be better is great but at some point like there needs to be some of the those two worlds need to mix a little bit you know there there's untapped talent that doesn't have a place to play and then there's teams galore that could use better players you know and kind of use an influx of talent and somewhere in the middle those those two need to meet and that's that in my opinion is a way to grow the game how that happens I have no idea Uh, I don't know how you see that being accomplished anytime in the near future but the the thing that you know really kind of boiled me into this and kind of got me to you know and here we are 15 minutes 16 minutes into the episode and you know me kind of finally getting to the point of growing the game and building the game and you don't in my opinion you don't you don't grow the game by kids playing those 29 to 22 slop fest baseball games yeah, they might get to say they won, but, you know, if there's 40 walks in a game, how much fun are those kids actually having? You know, that kid, the kids that are pitching are getting frustrated. The kids that are hitting are bored. The kids in the field are bored. And eventually it's like, I don't want to do that anymore. So we need to find a way to make it better and grow the game. Like I said, times change, things change. And one of the things that I think needs to happen is we need to grow with the times. You know, especially in this area, we cannot... Because of our summers, because they're short, uh, because by the first week or two of August, the anybody in high school is pretty much done playing baseball if they play football because football starting and, you know, they we don't get to start until, you know, some of the younger teams can start in later May. Uh, the 12 U and under can start in the early May in early May with tournaments and some weekend play and stuff like that. But like, you know, you. The summer ball, the bulk of these kids' seasons, when the weather's the nicest, is from June to the start of August. That's tight. <laughs> That's a tight window. You know, if, if you have kids in your team that end up going to sectionals, regionals, or the states, it's even long. It's even shorter that they get to play in the summer. And summer ball, in my opinion, is fantastic. And I, you know, if you know me, I, I've pull, I've coached summer ball. That's how I got my start in coaching, and it's fantastic. But school ball also needs to be a thing. And, you know, as a high school coach, I say that, you know, he's a high school coach. He wants his, you know, he wants his team to matter. And well, yes, I do. And I also think it's a different world for these kids because, you know, when you go to play for your school team, you know, if you're the one really good ball player in your school district, well, is, is it a little different? Sure. But if you are one of maybe 20 really good ball players in your school district, well, now it's kind of going to see where you know where you sit amongst guys that you know maybe all of you don't play together in you know over the summer because I play short you play short that guy plays short and this guy plays short so I play for one team you play for another that guy plays for a third and that guy plays for a fourth and all all four of us play shortstop well there's only one shortstop on the high school team you know and then it's how you know can you maybe play another position can you maybe play you know, maybe you pitch a little bit. So when you pitch, I play short. And when I pitch, you play short. And the other two guys split time at some, at second base or one of them plays outfield, you know, maybe stuff like that. So school ball to me matters because that's where you get kind of, especially at some of your bigger schools for sure. And, and you know, and I say that being from a bigger school, but also talking to coaches from smaller schools that say like, you know, they don't have the luxury of 30 guys coming out for their varsity team They and and have and getting to send some guys down to JV that maybe could play varsity elsewhere or in a smaller school just because of the amount of talent because of sheer number. Um, you know, and I, I really – I don't want that to come across cocky or braggy. I mean, I, I and I, I'm pretty sure I can use his name on this one. You know, me and Dennis Crowley, who – uh, I work with at the Athlete Factory. He coaches at Depew. I coach at Lancaster. They're a B school. We're a double A school. Um, I have 30 guys signing up for, you know, signing that are signed up for varsity right now. He has maybe 18. 
and I think that might be a stretch. So, you know, you end up seeing those things, and you're, you know, it, it's different. Like, yes, I'm, I'm going to have more ball players, not better ball players necessarily, but more. You know, he may have 10, 10 good ball players out of the eighteen. I may have twenty out of the thirty. You know, and then the, those numbers shake, you know, percentage wise, but it's just on sheer volume, I'm probably going to see more and that's okay. But that's also, again, where that, that, you know, that healthy competition comes in, that measuring stick comes in, you know, you can't just, unless you're going to go to a private, you know, you're going to go and leave your public high school and go to a private school because you want to get away from the competition or, you know, maybe you, you want to catch or play short or be the, the, you know, you think, you, not you think you feel that you're good enough to be a varsity pitcher at a younger age. Maybe you go tra- can try to transfer to a smaller private school and be that guy, and maybe that helps you develop, and that's fantastic. You know, and there are, there are plenty of guys that that has worked out for. And at the same time, you know, maybe you go there and you find out even there you're not the guy, which is also very possible. But that's also a huge shot to an ego. Yeah, you need these measuring sticks. You need the ability to have to play somewhere where you don't get to just leave and go elsewhere. Because guess what? When you get to the next level, uh, if you're leaving to go elsewhere, generally speaking, you're unless you you know are going up from like say a JUCO to a four year school, odds are if you're leaving, you're going down. You know, you're not going to a D one school and going, oh, I don't like that. There's a guy starting ahead of me and going to a different D, you know, D one school, even possibly equal, and to play, you're probably going to go down a division or, you know, down a level of play in the same division if you are. So, you know, to me, that measuring stick is important, and you know, so having having less options to. I don't want to say run away, but feels like run away. And I'm probably going to get roasted for this, which I apologize for. And I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm not trying to insinuate that, you know, if anybody's bad or everybody's, you know, nobody's good or anything like that. I, I don't know that we have a lot of true A baseball teams in this area. And that's solely because of pure volume of in the area. Um, you know, but I'm not trying to I'm not trying to knock anybody. I'm not trying to put anybody down. And if you know, if that's what you're hearing from me, I apologize. And I would love to have a conversation with you and, and really, you know, better to better explain what I'm trying to say or answer any questions you may have. But, you know, again, this is this is where we need to grow the game. You know, there shouldn't be travel teams that have five good ball players and then bodies in uniform that like baseball. Um you know, this is where we need to backfilter a little bit some of this, you know, and have people start asking questions is, you know, a third or fourth team at a certain age group. Like, yeah, OK, you get to say your kid's a travel ball player, but that's only because you somebody made a team at a level low enough for him to qualify or to be able to play. And again, that sounds tough. That sounds rough when I say it and when I hear it. But, you know, it doesn't make it not true. So, again, and I I don't know where this comes from. But that being said, all of that coming out, the thing that I do want to say is the thing that I love about sports and the thing that I love about baseball is it's something that's meant to unite us. And this is sports as a whole. Like, sports are meant to unite. Um, You know, they're meant to bring people together. Uh, I have friends that I still um, I see every day. Not every day, okay. I'm I'm too old to see friends every day, but you know people that I see regularly, talk to multiple times a week. That I you know celebrate holidays and special events with and things like that. That you know, how did we meet? Well, we were teammates, you know. And I, I have an episode planned probably for next week, unless I find time to get somebody to talk to about teammates like about like the weirdest wackiest wildest or funniest guy you guy or girl you've ever played with and like I look and some of my closest friends are people that I played sports with growing up and you know are there people that I didn't like that I played with sure but I mean the people that I'm closest with with were also on those teams and 
you know, fandoms and, you know, following teams, you know, people's sons playing together, people's daughters playing together, you know, it's supposed to bring people together. And even if you're not a fan of the same team or you, you know, how many times uh, actually I'm talking to and again, in in this instance, I'm going to use names, you know, talking to Charlie from Full Circuit a few weeks ago, he was telling me how, you know, they played the, the Thunderwolves you know, 10 times last year. And he brought that up in the conversation with Dan Savit uh, when we did the Zoom call and how by the end of it, you know, you play those guys enough that, you know, the guys are talking to each other, you know, guys that live, you know, a guy, a kid from Niagara Falls and a kid from Hamburg that never see each other, don't really know each other, play on two different travel teams, two different summer or two different school teams in different divisions, in different conferences and different size schools who never see each other. Uh, have, like have become friends and are you know they talk to each other and they find time to you know train together if they can and maybe they you know hey like I'll drive up here you drive down there or, you know once if they both go to college and play when they come back they get together and they hit together or they you know pitch and catch whatever it might be you know and that's the stuff that that's what it's supposed to be that's what it, it's supposed to unite us it's supposed to bring us together and sports have the, a weird innate way of doing that but right now for some reason the baseball world, specifically on Twitter, for sure, is just boiling over with with toxicity, and it's a lot of a lot of a few things. Um, you know, there's a lot of I don't know it, so I don't like it. There's a lot of I don't use it, therefore it's wrong, and there's a lot of it's new, so it's bad. And I don't think any of those statements are necessarily true. Um, and I'm going to use an example of players wearing wristbands for coaches to call signs. And now, if you read any of the initial arguments on this, anybody who's really, like, pound their chest adamant about it, oh, it slows the game down. You know, the, you got the the coach saying, you know, color number, color number, color number. The kid's got to, you know, do some formula in his head, look at the wristband, figure out what he's calling, sign it into the pitcher. The, you know, the pitcher then, ha- like, if he doesn't like it, shakes it off, catcher looks back at the coach, and, and it, it does, it takes forever. And I and I can tell you, and one of my former catchers, uh, Tyler Hoffines, can tell you that we tried this for probably three, maybe four games. I hated it. He was not a fan of it. And we went back to the old, more traditional style of hand signs touching the face and whatnot. Um, and I was really not a fan of it because it, it felt like it took forever. We, you know, I don't know how many times I called something and what he saw on his wrist card, you know, whether it was, you know, we had the one game we had, I had one call sheet, he had a different wristband. So we, you know, he had the wristband one, I had call sheet two. So nothing was right. Uh, there were other ones where, without uh, without me knowing, the formula in the Excel sheet that you put it in was screwed up. So I put one thing, it didn't transfer over to the other, and, you know, I called a fastball, and then there was a curveball, and I was like, what the hell? And we figured it out, and we, had a, it, we ended up just scrapping it. So I agree, there are some issues there. There are some shortcomings to that idea. Um, but to, to you know, I, I've seen it used for over a decade now. In different in in other worlds, I've seen middle infielders using it for positions from their coach. Um, you know, I've seen outfielders use it for, you know, especially when you talk, you know, some high school stuff like guys. You know, they might have notes on guys they know, and you know, tendencies. Yeah, you know, I, I, we we pitch chart. You know, we we chart hitters when we you know for for Lancaster, so we have an idea of things and kind of keep track of stuff. So. You know, you could you could put a thing where like the the little scout I could print out a little scouting sheet, give it to my kid, put it in a wristband. He looks and says, "Oh, okay, I know this is Mike Smith." And you know, Mike Smith likes to go. You know, he he he's a he's an inside out swing, so he's going to go the other way. So I'm going to shade that way. I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't think there's an issue with you know potentially telling your catcher and middle infielders you know on a first and third situation. You know, you call a play with you know you just call something out, and instead of you know. Okay, so the biggest argument is saving time. So I look at my catcher and say, okay, this play, and he walks out, announces it to the field, and comes back, as opposed to me just saying, blue 10, and all three guys, you know, everybody looks down, sees the play, we're good, moving on. You know, 
it's the the knock of it, it it taking time again from pitch calling. I get it. I did it. I hated it. Like I said, it lasted maybe four games, maybe, and then you know I've seen it put into play as calling signs from third, you know, and it's it. And I said this last night and talking to some of the guys, and you know, oh, it, it takes too much time. So I say Tangerine fifteen, the guy on first, the guy on second, and the batter look down. See Tangerine 15, see it's a hit and run or a double steal, whatever it may be. Okay, get in the box, go. As opposed to, all right, hat, elbow, ear, chin, ear, chin, ear, nose, ear, leg, elbow, chest, elbow, chest, leg, ear, chin, ear, chin, leg. And then your hitter looks at you and goes, wait, do it again? Are we really saving time there? No. And if you look, but if you look, there, there, there's no conversation of like, okay, well, this, this might be fine, but, well, okay, well, so, but you, you know, the initial conversation that was just had was wearing quarterback or play call wristbands are turning players into robots. You know, there's no feel. Yeah, there absolutely needs to be feel to baseball. I, you know, I work with that with the kids. You know, well, you know, teach me how to throw this. Well, I can, I can show you, but at some point, like, we got to work on you just feeling it and getting a better idea. You know, I can sit there and tell you that, you know, you're you're dropping your elbow when you throw or you're you're stepping off midline or whatever it might be. Or, you know, you're you're diving into the plate when you swing. But if you don't feel it, you're probably going to keep doing it. So, yes, the feel absolutely needs to be a thing. However, I, I don't think any of those things, you know, what's what's the, the signs are signs. Why does the how matter so much? It, you know, unless another team is picking up on your signs and then it's a problem. You know, but it's it, it's newer. All right, it's it's the last decade. It's kind of creeped up from the little league. Um, I would probably venture to guess it started with a guy coaching his son's team, who was also a football coach, who was like, "Why am I touching my face and stuff like this when I can just use signs and signals?" Um, so I mean, that's I would I would venture to guess that that's how it started. Um, but you know, I, I would sit there and say, oh, "Okay, you know." But is is change bad? You know, when I when I started when I played, there was no you know when I was coming up playing when I was growing up playing, there was no talk of launch angles and exit velos. But you know, you talk launch angle like every every single every single ball you hit has a launch angle. You know, if you're teaching exclusively, like you can talk about launch angles, like what you want ideally. You know, teaching a pure launch angle swing, maybe not. But again, I, you know, it's something that's just now mainstream being talked about, just like these wristbands. Is it not, like is 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 or is launch angle a bad thing? No, every single time you hit a ball, there's a launch angle. But on the initial conversation, you say launch angle and people want to fight. You say wristband, people want to fight. You say exit velo, people want to fight. You know, you say spin rate, people want to fight. Like none of these things are bad. It's more more knowledge is never bad the more you know like like there, there's there's a thing and i'm i don't remember what exact our you know sh- our show it was after but they would like announce something and then like the star would shoot across the tv be like the more you know like more knowledge is never bad so having more knowledge the ability to process more knowledge is never a bad thing can you over process yes you know can baseball be played on a spreadsheet no and that's why we're seeing some, you know, you're seeing some certain things that are being over implemented, maybe that are changing the game. But I mean, you know, it that's the nature of the game. Like if I know that this dude can't hit an outside fastball, why am I going to ever throw him anything else? And how do I know that from data? You know, if, if I know that my pitcher has a high spin rate and I want, but, you know, but I want, you know, the ball sinking low in the zone and he's getting, you know, balls put in play when he used to be a strikeout guy. Well, maybe I go back up in the zone that high spin rate rides and, you know, he starts blowing people away and striking people out again. But without that knowledge, I don't know those things. So I may not know why my pitcher who went from a high strikeout rate went to a lot of balls in play and not having great success. It depends on who you talk to and how you take it, but. You know, solely bashing things for the sake of bashing them, you know, and and some of this, too, is like there's you can find 
video everywhere of people posting someone else's video and it could be a short clip of anything really and bashing what's going on in the clip and to some extent there are some you know I, I saw the earthquake drill or whatever that thing was with the two separate moving foot platforms and I, I, I don't know if there's context that can be added to that that would ever make it make sense. But there are other videos that I've seen that, you know, oh, what, oh you know, good example would be, you know, when when have you ever seen a catcher have to jump up straight in the jump straight up in the air and do the next thing? He, you know, down to the ground to block a ball, hop up straight up in the air, run, slide, pick up a ball and throw. Does it happen? Probably not with the block, then the jump. But, you know, there are some, you know, everybody does different types of conditioning drills that involve baseball activity. Is he ever going to do it in a game? No. But is it a way to help him build some leg strength? And if he can do it fatigued from doing that, he's going to be able to, you know, if ball goes down in the dirt, he goes to block it. It takes a bad hop over his shoulder off the front of the plate or whatever it might be. And then he can pop up, go and get the ball. Is he going to, if he can do it after going down, hopping up, running, and then running, he could probably do it by going down, popping up, and running without the jump in the middle. So, I mean, they're, like without context, it's tough to tough to bash some of these things. But there are, are there, there's there's plenty of it out there, and there, there's plenty of people that just bash, bash, bash instead of trying to either a understand the why, and then say like, listen, I don't agree with this. You know, and 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 you can you can you can ask the why, you can ask the question, and when you get the answer, you can then say okay, I get what you're trying to do, but I don't think it works. Again, I, I don't know if there's any context to that. You know, if, if you haven't seen it, go look for it. You know, the, the kid's, kid's got a foot on two different platforms that are, like, moving and turning at different rates, and he's hitting. I, and I don't understand when that will ever be a thing that you'll ever have to do. But I, I don't know. Uh, that is, you know, that type of drill I understand. Like that, where's the context that gives me the the info I need for that? But you know, certain things like hitting mini marshmallows with a with a with a small PVC pipe. Well, I mean, you're working hand eye coordination there, but there are there are some people that would look and say that's ridiculous. You know, you find ways to adapt and to move on. Am I am I throwing practice golf balls to my hitters in? in a cage when I can be throwing live BP? Probably not. But am I going to use that drill as something as a pregame warm-up? Yeah, maybe. Because maybe I don't have time to do full BP with my guys or there's not a cage on location or whatever it may be. You know, when I was coaching in the summer, you'd show up to the field and a lot of times, especially in tournaments, you couldn't be on the infield. So you had a coach hitting ground balls off to the side. You had a coach hitting fly balls out in the outfield somewhere. And then the kids would, you know, you found a way, whether it was wiffle balls, whether it was wiffle golf balls, whether it was practice golf balls, you found a way for them to take swings and hit something without a, where you could have three, four, five kids hitting at a time. Or you found a way, you know, for these kids to take swings that was just more than a tee, more than just some soft toss, because a lot of places now, no soft toss or no hitting against the fence. So you got creative. And I think some of those drills get abused a little bit, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. And... You know, really, the with things changing, times changing, people adapting to what they're able to use and do, you know, I think as coaches and whether you're a coach, whether you're a parent, whatever it may be, the thing we have to really think about is that we're we're supposed to be here helping the next generation, not holding them back. Withholding information, withholding educational material, um, you know, can be detrimental to these kids, you know, if if if. You have a kid who wants to know where he stacks up, you know, and you send him, and I'm going to use one of my clients as an example, you know, who I've been working with this kid for three years, a great kid. I love him. Great kid. Great family. And I was having him as a sophomore go to a showcase because I wanted a to be able to see his numbers professionally tracked and get an idea for where he's at compared to where he wants to go. And I wanted him to be able to also see hey, this is where I'm at, and this is where other players are that are either my age or a year or two ahead of me that are going, hey, here's, like, I'm a sophomore, here's a, you know, here's my numbers, and I can see, here's a kid from my high school who's a year older than me 
who might be a D1 prospect and where his numbers are at. Okay, so if like I either need to work harder to get there or I need to understand that like maybe I'm not D1 material and but you know that doesn't mean I'm not college baseball material. But there are some people who would tell you that going to a showcase and getting those things professionally tracked is bad or tell their kids not to go to them because I don't know. Does that does that mean it it makes it harder for you to sell what you're doing or something? I, I that I don't know, and I'm not going to speak to that. But you know the th- the fact that people would would go against these ideas of getting this information, like to me, you're 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 withholding that it's it's like giving a kid a test in school without giving him material to study. Uh, what you wouldn't do that, but we we'll, you know that happens with with our athletes all the time. Not all the time, but more than it should at bare minimum. So, you know, we're, we're supposed to sit here and help the next generation and help them get to the next level, whatever that next level may be. And, you know, I'm going to wrap this this episode up by talking about one of my former players from my from the high school. Me and him were talking not too long ago, and he he mentioned to me that he wants to coach. But he also mentioned that because he's never played to a certain level, he doesn't feel as though he would be credible as a coach. And I'll be honest with you, that really bothers me. Like, And, and it, it bothered me when he said it. It bothers me when, you know, now that I'm sitting here talking about it again, that there is this idea out there that to be a good coach, you must have been a good player. To be a great coach, you must have been a great player. And to be a Hall of Fame coach, you must have been a Hall of Fame player. And I think we can find examples of every single sport in the world where that's not the case you know so my college career got cut short before I ever stepped foot on the field of Fredonia by with herniating two discs in my back the summer prior playing summer ball playing a position I didn't play hurt myself was not able to try out or play college baseball because of the year and a half rehab for the herniation in the in the lower part of my back which was exacerbated of uh, the, the exasperation of an old lifting injury I've been a coach for Oh, geez, I started when I was 18 turning 19 or 19. So, okay, so 19 turning 20. So I've been a coach for 14 years now. And I have had the absolute pleasure of coaching kids that have gone as high as being making their pro debut last year. And I've coached kids that played for a few years when they were 13, 14, and, you know, ended up going into a different sport or just, not really making it as a ball player one way or the other, or maybe they just, you know, didn't want to do it. And they ended up being, you know, going a different road and everything in between. But, you know, there are people there. So first off, by this belief, I should have never even been a coach because I didn't play at a high enough level. And then, you know, that being said, I have to ask, where does that idea come from? And it's from the, toxic land of social media where you see people saying oh you can't listen to these people who never played like I played to this level I played here and that's fantastic listen I I, I, you are talking to a guy or listening to a guy I should say that would have given his left nut for a shot at a year in the bus leagues and I've had a lot of success as a coach did I play again? My my, my college my college career never happened because of an injury. And you know, yes, I've pl- I, I've played and still play adult amateur ball. But you know, depending on who you talk to and when you talk to them, that may you know that amounts to a hill of not much. You know, as as far as a playing experience resume goes. But that's not. You know, there's nothing saying that that doesn't qualify me to be a coach of the game I love because you know what I did do. I had a conversation with a guy who played 17 years of pro ball. Every chance I got absolutely every chance I got, I sat down and talked to a man who had a longer career in the pros than most people have in a game in, in the game as a whole. And I learned from him and I learned from other coaches. I learned from, you know, I had the, I had the pleasure of my very first year as a coach I coached the secondary the secondary team at 12U at Inferno 
so the first the the number one, the the A team will say was New Era, the B team was Inferno. I was one of the coaches on Inferno, and a local community college coach who has a very very good winning record and a very great a, a great lifetime of coaching was the head coach of the A team, and that's the guy that I got to learn from the very first year coaching. And you know, I I the last time you know we, me and him have we bump into each other sparingly at best, but every time we do, hey man, how you been? Hey, how you doing? Like. You know, it was the last time I talked to him, he's like, yeah. He goes, man, I remember you. You were, you were that 19-year-old fiery kid that wanted to learn. Like, yeah, man, th- that's where I'm at. Like, and now I'm a 33-year-old fiery dude that wants to learn more. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things that it, it bothers me that this that this young man has it in his head that he's his coaching ability would be limited because his playing abilities only took him so far. And... The only thing I can say to that is that's a message that's being pushed. That is 100% a message that's being pushed is that your experience in the game and the level that you can get to is solely dependent on the level you were able to play at. And the best way I can put this is some of the best teachers I've ever had are not masters in their field. Some of the worst teachers I ever had, and I'm talking school, I'm talking education, were doctors I hate like if I had the option in college to go to to take a class with a doctor or a professor I took it with a professor because the professor knows how to teach the information the doctor is an expert of the information but expects you to understand it to his level that's not necessarily how it works I'm here to learn I don't if, if I knew what you were talking about I wouldn't be here learning it so you know just because you played at a high level doesn't mean you're a great coach, and just because you're a great coach doesn't mean you played at a high level. And I'm going to cap that with the simple statement that that is not a shot at anybody who made it to the pros at any level because, you A, you made it farther than I did. I'd have given my left nut to play a year in the bus leagues, like I said earlier, and, you know... I just standing on that platform and putting other people down who are willing to put in the time, willing to put in the work and learn. You could be stopping a kid in this instance, a kid who I believe will be a great coach someday. And it's a shot he, you know, at one point or another has considered not taking because of the message that he didn't play high enough. Therefore, he doesn't have credibility as a coach. And that's tough to me. That, that That's tough. I, I don't know how we sit here as coaches, as molders of young minds, and think that that message going out is okay. Because I don't. I don't think that's okay. And that's where I'm going to wrap this up today. It didn't go where I wanted it to go. It went to a good place, I think. Um, with the, For the people who listen to this, if you have... I'm going to ask one favor. If you take exception or took exception to anything that I said, please reach out. Have the conversation with me. Um, you know, I'm not interested in Twitter battles. Um, I am not interested in people who want to say their piece and walk away. I want a conversation. So reach out. Let's ha- let's talk. If you If you took exception to something I said or have input, reach out to me. I'm not hard to find. You can find me on, you know, if you Google tip of the cap podcast, all of my information uh, pops up. You can go tip at tip of the cap pod on Twitter. You can search tip of the cap podcast on Facebook. You, I coach jazz 25 on Twitter is my personal account. Um, you know, you, you, you can find me, you can reach out. I'm here. Have the conversation with me. If you want to come on the show, reach out, let me know. Let's have a conversation. I'll record it, and we can talk. And you can ask me questions. I don't care. I'll, I'll defend 99.999% of what I say and do. So if you hear it and you have an issue with something, reach out. Talk to me if, you, if you'd like to. Um, you know, I, again, I can't force people to do that, but I would, like, I would like to have the conversation. I would like to talk to people. And again, I'm always looking for guests, um, you know, and especially, like I said, I have a long list of people I'm trying to get to and just finding time to sort out schedules is tough. But, you know, if you want to be a guest, come on out. Um, 
And like I said, anything that you if, if you heard something here and you have an issue with it, whatever it might be, reach out. I'll have a conversation with you. That has never bothered me. That being said, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, thank you again. Always. We had another great month last month uh, up in the 18,000 listener range again, and which is impressive with the tail off for the start of the month that we had. So uh, thank you for tuning in as always. And, you know, I, I, I love doing this. I love putting the information out. And as long as people keep listening, I'll keep doing it. So, uh, again, thanks for tuning in. And as always, check you can always check out this. My other two podcasts, uh, Hats, Tats, and Stats, a, pro, a Buffalo-centric post pro sports podcast, and Common Debauchery, a podcast about just the weird life we live in in 2021 and all the other fantastic podcasts on the BACBP radio network, www.bacbp-radio.com. And there are 30, 40, I don't even know, I've lost count, shows on that on the network that you can find. We can find all of us on Apple, Spotify, uh, and wherever you might take your podcasts in on. Like, share, subscribe, uh, follow us on all the social medias. They're all linked at the bottom of the episode. No matter where you're listening to it, you can find the information there. And as always, guys, you know, thank you for listening, and I will catch you next week. This is generic american sports podcast center hey guys thanks for tuning in to another episode of generic american sports host podcast thing today in sporting news some things happened that were some stuff and some other things some statistical values to back up those things are this as you can see the thing I just said, statistically, did happen. Yo, wait a minute. I feel like I could listen to this show anywhere and be just as bored. Why am I listening to this stuff? You want a better sports experience from your podcast? Head over to Hats, Tats, and Stats on the BICBP radio network. Not generic, not boring, and a little out there sometimes. Tune in to Hats, Tats, and Stats on the BICBP radio network.